0: are sure. I bypassed the compressor.
1: You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. He's the AP5 of podcasting. <laughs> it's... It's DeVore. I thought you would like that one, you know? It's, you, it's a good you one. You get yeah, AP5, you get some droid love in there. Yep. So, uh, guys... Drew is not with us tonight. He is out scouting for a new Rebel base or on a vacation or something like that. Um, So we are going to try to keep the ship flying in the meantime. So on this episode, we're going to be continuing our journey to the Ahsoka series by looking at the third season of Rebels uh, to talk about the three things that we think could play a role in said Ahsoka series. So if you haven't listened to our first two covering season one and season two we have those episodes out and in each episode we're bringing up three things that we believe would uh, would be there so we've got six of ours out already Devor and we've got six more to go three of them tonight so I'm very excited about this conversation
0: I am too I mean I will just put my cards on the table this is my favorite season of rubbles Ooh, so very okay. very much been anticipating this conversation so
1: okay well and I I was just telling you just a bit ago, like I have not watched season three and four as much as I've watched season one and two. Cause I, you know, rewatched those in preparation for the other seasons coming out. So like season four, I've watched the least because I rewatched the, you know, one, two and three before four came out. So sometimes I get to season three and four and I'm just like, I forget how freaking good, like, like I think about the highs of the season, you know the the twin sons and things like that, but mm-hmm. all of it just it just hits. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, before we get into that, though, I want to talk to you about John Boyega. So, all right. Devor, did you see uh, his segment on Hot Ones that came out this week?
0: I, I didn't watch the segment itself, but I saw at least some of the like the. Lines that came out of it, at least the Star Wars relevant ones. So,
1: those of you who uh, have not heard about this, uh, John Boyega was asked to rank his uh, sequel trilogy movies and uh, he got very excited about it, first of all. He was very game. Uh, And he ranked uh, Force Awakens and then Rise of Skywalker and Last Jedi in third place. He did say that he loves The Last Jedi uh, and it's kind of, you know, picking from your three favorites for me, I always take those opinions of actors with a grain of salt because I think they have a different view than the uh, general audiences. And with John, we know how much he loved JJ. So it would make sense that he preferred those JJ films. But DeVore, did you have thoughts on uh, John Boyega's rankings of the new, of the sequel Star Wars movies?
0: I mean, the thoughts I have about his comments on that are the thoughts that I have about, most times whenever, you know, there's a particular Star Wars actor who goes, you know, viral for particular some comment, whether it's like Boyega doing the rankings or like, you know, Sam Witwer's comments about The Last Jedi every so often, like kind of, you know, bubble up or like things that Mark Hamill has historically said about like like Luke and whatnot and his stream in the sequel trilogy, which is to say that like, you know, The actors, as you mentioned, you know, when you're talking about the rankings, like the Star Wars actors, they do come at the movies and the stories from a different point of view than, you know, us fans on the outside, which is that they have the inside perspective of whether it is with their own characters, you know, inhabiting the characters and getting in a particular mindset in order to do the performance – Also, you know, any kind of behind the scenes stuff that they might be privy to that we don't know, you know, their own experiences, like conversations they may have had with other actors on set or off. So like that stuff is obviously going and kind of informing some of the comments and things like that. But at the same time, it's like I think we do have to like approach these from uh, the standpoint of like all of these actors are also to one degree or another, fans with their own opinions. And I think we need to factor that in. I think we sometimes get too caught up in being like, well, like actor X has this taken, like, are they right or are they wrong? Like, is that how we should be thinking? Something? It's like, it's, it, that is a, a person with a perspective. Like any other person with a perspective, is it can it be informed by experiences that are unique to them and things that they know that are unique to them? Sure it can. But also it is still their own point of view, and you can have your own point of view. And if, you know, if Mark Hamill says something about Luke and you're like, I think I think Mark Hamill's wrong about that, like that's like that's his perspective. Like you can have yours. Like it's all right. I think we sometimes get a little too hung up on what actors and things like that say about characters or movies or things like that, or their interpretations?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it was just kind of interesting to see him, one, get so excited about uh, ranking the movies, but then also the he hasn't really talked about it a lot factor. Like he hasn't since he kind of said, you know, um, I'm done. I did my Star Wars thing. I'm, I'm happy with it. I feel like we haven't gotten a lot of news of him coming out and and talking about Star Wars. So for me, it was almost interesting to see, like, hmm, maybe his passion for it is kind of reignited because he got really excited about this question. But you mentioned, you know, everybody having their their own opinions and stuff, and you're 100% right, like, we do get too caught up in it and worry about it too much. So with that in mind, I want you to rank the sequel trilogy. (laughs) All right, I would. But but here's the thing. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I want you to rank them in two ways. Okay. I want you to rank them as your favorite. Okay. And then I also want you to do them as which ones you think are the best. If you take your opinions out of it and you're being as objective as possible, what do you think are the best ones? So okay, so like a,
0: a best list and a favorite list essentially. Best list and a favorite list, yes. All right, uh, favorite list would be um, release order. So 789. Okay. Um, Best order would probably be 213. So
1: Last Jedi, Force Awakens. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, Eight, eight, seven, nine. So it's interesting for me. I was thinking about this as, uh, like, this John Boyega stuff came out as... I was uh re-watching the sequel trilogy. And I gotta admit something, Devor. Yeah. I think The Force Awakens is my new favorite of the sequel trilogy. It's
0: very good.
1: Like the it just there's elements of Last Jedi that kind of like the humor I think doesn't hit as well after multiple rewatches where, like, Poe, uh, you know, when he first meets Kylo going, who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Like, it's that so hits every it's single so time. good. BB-8 with a thumbs up hits every time. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a big deal in the Resistance, you know? All of that mm-hmm. stuff. The humor of it really just hits. And that's one thing I think that J.J. Abrams did actually a better job at uh, than Ryan Johnson is... Hitting that Star Wars humor aspect of things, so I was thinking about this, and both of mine are actually the same. Okay, I I actually go in release order for both my favorites and the best seven, eight, and right. nine. I cool. think seven just continues to hold up on its own. You know, uh, with even with everything, you know, the drama around eight, the uh, I don't want to call them continuity issues, but the weird direction they went with the difference between eight and nine uh gets a little wonky but seven is still just it 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 is a great great film and i think honestly i was thinking about this too and i want your opinion on it i think solo would have been extremely successful had it come out after the force awakens
0: I think so. Yeah, I think we kind of had this conversation a little bit at the end of last year when we were doing our best year in Disney Star Wars episode. We touched on this a little bit that, yeah, I think Solo, you know, there were a couple things working in Solo. And then one of them was just that kind of post Last Jedi negativity environment. Uh, But even beyond that. uh, yeah.
1: Like, I think, you know, Force Awakens is such a Han movie. I think they kind of killed the Han momentum mm. by having, like, even if Last Jedi, let's say Last Jedi was well, you know, universally well-received like they expected it to be, which I don't know why you would expect a Star Wars movie to be universally beloved. That never happens. But that's another conversation for another day. They, you know, went a whole, almost, you know, two and a half, like, Hour movie, maybe more than two and a half hour movie, you know, years and years without Han, and then you're like, oh yes, but also care about Han again. We're just gonna randomly going to throw him here. I think if you had the Harrison Ford in what we thought was his final performance as Han Solo, and then you you know come out with a solo film right after that, I think you you get a huge huge reception to that movie and that we have a solo series and maybe even solo two and three and uh four that are announced and then canceled and then announced again you know like (laughs) it it could have gotten really interesting but uh did you have any other thoughts on that before
0: yeah i never thought about that but i think you do make a good point that yeah, a solo release, like, in place of, let's say, Rogue One. Like, if it had taken the Rogue One slot. Yeah. You know, it would have had the benefit of, one, the it would have gotten to ride that post-TFA high of Star Wars is back, it's back in the theaters and all that stuff and that energy. And then also, yeah, as you mentioned, like, you would have gotten sort of the bookends because you get TFA and you see sort of, you know, Han's end, or at least, like, the end of his life and, like, where where that's up. And then you kind of go backwards and you see sort of the... "Quote unquote," the beginning of his life.
1: Yeah, it would have been really interesting. It's, and you know, you, with uh, Force Awakens and Rogue One, like if if there have been movies that have been universally beloved, I think those are probably the ones that come closest to it. You know, yeah. at least in the the Disney era. And then you have you know you hit Last Jedi, which w- you and I love. Most of us here at the at Clashing Sabers love it, but. It was a big like drop off, you know, in terms of engagement and people caring about it. And and the overall reaction just became so vile that I think, I mean, it's undeniable that hurt solo, but I do think it would have, you know, we would have had much more solo stuff happening had they done it at a different time so in an alternate universe that has actually happened but in this universe we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we are going to get into rebels season three everything leading up to this moment has been rehearsal the real performance is about to begin he's launching the first wave Ships, battle stations. Hang on to something. Incoming. You're our only chance for help.
0: It cuts off. This rebellion ends today. I'm not ready to give up yet.
1: force be with me welcome back everyone we are ready to jump into our three things segment where each of us is going to present three things from the third season of rebels that we think is going to play a role in ahsoka so like i mentioned before if you haven't listened to our season one and two episodes make sure you go check those out uh if you haven't you'll still be able to play along with our coverage here and uh so you kind of know the the rules uh, there basically are none other than the ones that we create ourselves. These three things could be big things, small things, themes, characters, character traits, whatever we kind of want it to to be. So, uh, Devor, you haven't really had any caveats other than, you know, we kind of had a universal caveat of we're not going to name the obvious. But as we came to season three, it being your favorite season, did you have to put any parameters on for yourself to kind of create your focus?
0: No, not really. I think okay. I went into it with the same kind of mindset as our season one and two discussions. okay yeah, kind of the same for me. Uh, it was a little bit harder
1: for season three because mm-hmm. we're getting you know more stuff that's gonna be continued in ahsoka like we know of uh, so I'll be really interested to see what your three things are So again, these are in no particular order so uh, we're just gonna start with one and Devor I'm gonna let you you kick it off. What do you think is gonna from season three is
0: going to play a role in Ahsoka. All right, so my first pick from season three is the episode, Hera's Heroes, just early on in the season. And I think this episode, or at least the things that happened in there, I think it can be relevant for a couple of reasons. I I don't remember what which of the episodes that we talked about. I think it might've been the season two one, or maybe even the one one, but we talked about Hera and how she kind of has this relationship with Thron, or this kind of knowledge of Thron, and that really kind of starts in this episode, because this is where you get, you know, her sneaking back into her family home, which is the Imperial compound, and then she gets arrested, and she has that whole confrontation with Thron. So that relationship there between the two of them, it be and you know, it kind of evolves in this sort of like. Cap- cat and mouse game over the course of the rest of Rebels. It really begins here in a lot of ways. So there's that element of like Hera's having this sort of unique perspective and understanding and appreciation of the threat that Thrawn brings. I think you can root that back here. And then also crucially, the other things that are happening in this episode, which is we get the, you know, the insights a little bit into Hera's past and her sort of history with the rebellion and this whole sort of legacy of conflict that her family has been in, you know, going back to her father, Cham, and then that she kind of inherits. And particularly, I'm thinking about the side by side of in the trailer that we got, the second trailer they got from Ahsoka, we get that one kind of Hera line where she's talking about like, uh, you know, I've been fighting, you know, like I've been fighting a war for most of my life. That's why I want to try to prevent another one. That's paraphrase. I don't have the exact quote. And then there's a you can juxtapose that with there's a line that Thrawn says to Hera where he tells her, "War, it's all you've ever known." And so you see there in terms of her own experience with and you know we've gotten that now of course enriched with having seen her in season one of the bad batch and seeing her kind of become involved in the early resistance against the empire as a kid you see the way that war and conflict have been this shaping thing in Hera's life all the way back to her being a child and the effects that it's had on her family and losing her mother and all of that you get in you know, in terms of viewing order chronologically, we get at first sort of the insights in hair in this episode, and so I think all of that is going to be is going to be sort of informing her own actions in Ahsoka in terms of wanting to really take the threat of Thrawn seriously and trying to avoid you know another major conflict.
1: Yeah, I those stood out to me too, especially because we have that line from the trailer. Um, I want to talk more about like the growing up in a war later. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get into that a little bit more, but it is like rewatching has really helped me realize that how many interactions Hera and Thrawn actually had and how, you know, they, they really, I don't know if I want to say that they were equals just because I don't want people to, to think I'm misconstruing that as like Hera is a good version of Thrawn or anything like that. But right. I do think that they are a, a good match for each other because I think uh, Hare's determination is kind of a factor that Thron cannot compute, you know, for and he can't prepare for, um, and her creativity and things of that nature are kind of uh, beyond what he's he's capable of fully grasping and planning for. Um, And so I think he has a respect for her there in like, you're good at some things that maybe I'm not as good at, but I also am going to prove that the way that I do it is better kind of attitude. Yeah, And so it's interesting to see how they, they go back and forth at each other, which kind of leads into one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because in that interaction in Hera's Heroes, when Thrawn goes out into the hallway and Slavin is kind of uh, bad-mouthing the Cali and and the Twi'leks and everything, he kind of loses his stuff. Thrawn loses it on him. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think we're going to see this in the series. I think we are going to see Ro- Thrawn's more ruthless side. Because, one, Dave Filoni has been very adamant with Thrawn is the villain. Like, he has put it in no uncertain terms, Thrawn is, you know, a villain in this series and in this, you know, version of the galaxy that we are creating. So, I think that's a factor. Um we have that instance with Slavin where he goes off on him and then he kind of catches himself. It's almost like he reverts to his like most primal self. And then he just, you know, bounces back into kind of his culture and how he was raised and the decorum and everything. But then he kind of starts to channel that ruthless side through that filter of the, the discipline and the structure and things like that. When we get later in the season and, He is going to inspect the uh, facilities, the factory on Lothal, because they are rigging the speeders and things to explode at 120 or or something like that. Uh, And he makes uh, Mr. Sumar sit on the speeder bike until it explodes and kills him. And that was a... It was taking that... Villainous, ruthless side of Thrawn, and we saw it in an instance of uh, him losing control, but also an instance of him being in complete control. So I think we have Thrawn as this calculating chess master, but this could add a level of fear that isn't always there with Thrawn because he is so calm and cool and collected and everything. So I think if we had a moment or two where this guy is just, we realize he's capable of terrible, terrible things, it would really enhance his character. And, you know, I'm also thinking, you know, this series is kind of going to be a setup for future events also. And so I think that that would, encourage audiences and entice audiences, motivate them to watch later things with Thrawn, whether these other characters are involved or not, because you go, I want to know what makes this guy tick because he always seems he's in control. And then every now and then he just snaps and, you know, is there a big snap coming? Is he going to lose it? Is that going to be good for him? Is that going to be, you know, his downfall? I think there's a lot of compelling uh, storytelling that can happen around that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you because, I mean, one of the you know, motifs of the, you know, in the stories that we've gotten kind of post Return of the Jedi when we've looked at the Empire and particularly the, the remnants of the Empire that are out there is like something that comes up time and again is the way that those remnants that are still surviving, that are still kind of fighting, you know, that haven't kind of given up or anything like that, they have this kind of wounded animal mentality, that like and, you know, at the height of the empire's rule, like yes, they are still ruthless and brutal, and they're willing to you know, wipe out whole planets and civilizations. But it's all kind of happening in this structure of control and order and everything. But then once all of that, it, once you take that all away, once you know, Palpatine is dead and they've lost control of the galaxy, like they becomes they become much scrappier, they become much more hardened and rabid and willing to even push farther. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. Like, it will be interesting to see like, does that kind of attitude and mentality, does that also permeate to Thrawn, who has this sort of reputation generally, we see him, as you mentioned, as being very measured and level-headed. Like, do we see him in this kind of post-Empire where he's now kind of in the standpoint of trying to, you know, claw his way back up? Is he willing to, you know, like, let loose a little bit more, you know, get off the leash? and be a little bit more like be a little bit more aggressive in a way that we haven't seen him apart from these kind of couple moments that you mentioned.
1: Well what you were saying too got me thinking about the fact that like this is jumping a little bit ahead to season 4, but season 4 is where we see what we can assume is his greatest defeat in his yes. life, right? And so uh, On a smaller scale, you know, you talk, you're excuse me, on a larger scale, you talked about, you know, the empire kind of breaking down into these, you know, kind of rabid animal mentality type of people. And and we know that they went off and formed the first order and then the Sith order, or I I don't know how all that worked, it still doesn't line up. But uh, there were a lot of people doing a lot of things, and they were doing them, you know, with the intent of being worse than the empire. and so Thrawn in a, in, on a smaller scale kind of has that same thing. Like he's had his greatest defeat. How is he going? Because he actually has a chance to, you know, actually bounce back from it and do something about it. And and it'll be interesting because we're picking this up somewhere between 10 and 15 years after the events of rebels. You know, I don't know exactly where the timeline lines up, but, so he's had a lot of time to stew on this and handle this and so I'll be interested to see where his mind uh, is at when we, when we get there. So, Devor, if it's okay with you, I wanted to throw in another one because I wanted to to talk about that point um, you were talking about with Hera growing up in the war and being a child of war and I think something we're going to have to see whether it's a blatant theme or it's just more of a, you can tell through the the facial expressions and lines and, and the actions of the characters is how these characters handle the trauma of war because mm-hmm. this season is really where we start to see Ezra uh, as he's sorting out his feelings and his guilt around what happened to Mandalore or excuse me, not Mandalore Malachor. He starts to really change that trauma starts to really affect him. There's a line early in the season when he's just going off on people and and uh, he sa- Hondo says, is that Ezra? And Sabine says, most of the time. And it's just a little like, ah, ha, ha It's a Sabine funny moment. But it also kind of shows he's kind of been out of sorts. He hasn't been acting like himself. Uh, there's another moment when Kanan is talking about the, the spiders. And he says, fear, grief, anger. That's how they see me. That's how I see myself. So we see him dealing with the traumas of war. And I think looking at, you know, Filoni likes to repeat themes and repeat ideas. I think we could see Kanan, or excuse me, Ezra at a similar place to Kanan, where he is so afraid that he is not even able to recognize how that fear impacts the world around him. And then, you know, as we mentioned before, with Hera growing up as a child of war, you have Ahsoka who fought in the Clone Wars and helped start a rebellion, Uh, And then she disappeared from the the bigger galactic story for a few years. Does she feel regret for that? Does she take on ownership of some of the losses that had to happen because she was away? Like, they're going to have to, in this post-Return of the Jedi era, get into that trauma aspect of things. Because we've got 30 years to fill and they weren't, we're not going to have hopefully a 25 year Thrawn war that ends like the day before the force awakens. Like we need some time for these characters to recover and deal with the traumas of the wars. And we need that to happen in my opinion on the screen. We've had some of it in books and alphabet squadron and things like that. But I think we need to really start seeing this more on the screen in a very visceral and, not necessary adult in that like it's not hidden behind the, the humor of a kid show, but it's just in your face uh,
0: reality of story that you have to deal with. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's this whole period in between, you know, Jedi and Force Awakens. I think is a ripe place for storytelling, and you know, you've mentioned already that we've gotten some of the storytelling. In the context of, you know, books and even video games, like something like Battlefront 2. But I think even in terms of the screen to look at like, like the fallout of all of this fighting that had been happening in this turmoil in the galaxy with the Empire and then the rebellion and all of that and how characters how they're both dealing with it at a kind of galactic level, sort of systematically, and then also sort of at an individual level, how are people dealing with what they went through, with what their losses are, and then trying to figure out, like, how they want to define their lives in this, you know, in this time ostensibly of peace without conflict.
1: Yeah, and uh, a lot of the people, you know, that we're going to be spending time with in... These stories that are coming up, you know, whether it be An Ahsoka or future Mandalorian stuff or whatever we get, are gonna be characters who were somehow involved in the war. You know, we're we know we're gonna see Mon Mothma, you know, at a time period after uh, Andor, and we saw we've seen more and more the sacrifices that she's had to make. And like you said, how does she live with that? What's her new reality? Uh, and I think we're gonna see the same for Ahsoka. I think we're gonna see the same for. Hera, like, it's it's interesting. Clone Wars gets into this a little bit in Season 7 of, like, Ahsoka talking about all I've ever been is a warrior. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know what to be if I'm not that. And so you have Hera, like, all she's ever been is a warrior. Ezra, you know, all he's ever been is, you know, a, a fighter. Like, he, whether it was fighting to survive on the streets or fighting to, you know, battle for the... or battle against the Empire you know, you've got all these characters that you can't deny how their life has been defined by whether it's one, the one war of the galactic civil war or that and the clone wars. And I mean, at some point, you know, the, the bill comes up to pay and you have to deal with these things. There's only so long you can hide behind blasters and lightsabers, uh, you know, to distract you from what's actually happening in your life. And that's something as somebody you know who has been a big fan of Ahsoka. I've really loved seeing in more and more Ahsoka content that we've gotten of late is her dealing with that trauma, and so I, I don't see any reason that that wouldn't continue in there, and that maybe she is able to help Sabine come to terms with her trauma because of how Ahsoka has learned how to handle hers. You know, mm. uh, maybe Sabine is having some. Regrets or some um, apprehension about this search for Ezra and this fight against Thrawn. And, And, you know, we know Ahsoka references Anakin and stuff. And maybe that's an avenue where they can bring in this idea is having Ahsoka share her story. Like, how powerful would that be if you had two women on screen, like having a conversation about how to handle? your trauma and your regrets and stuff like that. Like, I don't know about you. That would have a huge impact on me.
0: Yeah, I agree. And just for the record, just to establish it, I am so glad that our conversation has organically gone in this direction because it is a perfect setup for my other two things from season three are touching exactly on all these themes that we have already talked about. So,
1: well, let's, I like that. let's go into it. Pick another one and, and throw it on. All the right. Board.
0: So, the other one that again kind of goes into this conversation organically is the episode Trials of the Darksaber.
1: And I was counting on you, dude. I was mm-hmm. counting on you to bring this up. I was like,
0: Yeah, I need we, to talk about it, but we, we, there is no way that we can talk about, you know, go through all of these episodes about what in Rebels is going to be important for Ahsoka without talking about this episode. And I think there's a couple things that are happening here that are going to be really relevant. I mean, of course, it is. You know, it is a whole Sabine-centric episode. And what we see her, you know, going through in here is on the one hand, you know, at a technical level, we already know, you know, from the trailer, there's that that Sabine has done some training with Ahsoka, and then she's had this kind of master-apprentice relationship. In this episode, we see Sabine with her first sort of master-apprentice relationship, kind of with Kanan. And... Much like has been alluded to in the trailer, we see Sabine, you know, butting heads with her master there with Kanan. You know, the two of them really coming into conflict in terms of, you know, technique and Kanan feeling like. Sabine is not taking her training seriously and that she's not really sort of committed to the discipline and the work of mastering this weapon. And that, you know, as he admits, because, you you know, the episode destruction, you get these little like breakups where he's kind of talking back with Hera and he's almost doing kind of like debrief of what just happened and him feeling like at certain moments that. Sabine is, you know, holding things in and that she's not willing to let them out. And then until she lets those things out and deals with them, like she's not going really to really able to master the blade. So there's that whole sort of dynamic of like the tension between Master and Apprentice and not seeing eye to eye, which I, we might end up seeing, I think, I mean, it's already been hinted at right in the trailer that we're going to see that dynamic repeat again. Of course, at this point, we don't know what, you know, the substance of that looks like for Ahsoka and Sabine, but we know it's there. So there's that element of it. And then there's just the element of, you know, that final act of the of that episode where she does have that breakthrough moment. And we see her dealing with both her own guilt about her participation in the Empire, that she built this weapon that then ended up getting used against her people. And then also the the fact of her family turning their backs on her. That, like, she expected that her family was going to be there for her, but instead, out of fear of the Empire, they just sort of abandoned her and, you know, wrote her off as a traitor and didn't want anything to do with her. And, you know, you see, and this is something that Hera also talks about in this episode, about this issue of, like, Sabine and her issues with abandonment and being let down by people. And she, you know, Hera has a sign about, like, remember how long it took her, you know, to trust us. And so now we got this dynamic where, okay, she had this master-apprentice relationship with someone else with Ahsoka, who then again abandoned her for reasons that we will, you know, still have to find out. So it's like, well, now, how is that maybe reinforcing prior, you know, experiences that she's had in her life? So I think all of that stuff that that episode touches on, I think, are going to be really salient for the relationships that we see in Ahsoka.
1: I honestly hadn't thought about the, the fact that, you know, she's going to have another master leave her. Uh, I, I definitely saw the parallels between, you know, Ahsoka and Kanan training her and, and how are they training her? You know, like what's their approach and, uh, I am of the camp. I don't believe that they're going to come in and reveal that she has the force after she. Yeah, I know. Not after she spent so much time with, you know, multiple force users and on a planet with Ben And nobody was like, you know, that that kid's got, you know, weird energy in the force. Like maybe you should check her midi chlorine counter, whatever they do at this point. Uh, So I think they're training her more as a warrior, which you know, is more to her culture, but again, like you mentioned, that culture kind of betrayed her. And I, I'm really interested to see where Sabine is at in relation with the rest of the Mandalorians. Because I believe it was Rosario Dawson said that Ahsoka happens or at least starts around the same time of Mando season three. So, you know, what's the situation with the dark saber? Like what's her relationship, if any, to, to that and what's going on there. What's her relationship to the rest of these Mandalorian groups? Like it's how much has she cut herself off from that? Because she has this history of people. She loves leaving her. She had, her family abandoned her, like you talked about. Uh, the loss of Canaan, the loss of Ezra. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, because Harrow continued on with the New Republic and, and uh, uh, not Soka, sorry, Sabine stayed on Lothal. There was probably a disconnect there. So what is, you know, what's the trust trauma that she's going to have, mm-hmm. that she's going to have to deal with, yeah. could be a huge, huge factor. Because we've got eight episodes you know and if she spends three of them you know fighting with Ahsoka not you know I don't think they're going to go to blows or anything but in a disagreement about what the approach should be and she's somebody who's had so many experiences and so many victories but also so many losses to learn from across you know the story of rebels that are is going to influence where she she goes going forward so I i love that yeah so do you want to go ahead since you said they were kind of connected you want to just continue on with your other one before i, I add my that. last one yeah let's do that yeah. so we can just kind of keep things together yeah
0: so so my number three rebel season three moment that i think is going to be important for Ahsoka, and this might be a little bit of a curveball but i think well once i talk through it we'll see how it all, all connects it is the duel between obi-wan and maul at the end of twin sons okay Exactly. I threw a little bit of a curveball. You
1: had me at Twin sons. You see, you yeah. lost me at Obi-Wan and Maul. Continue.
0: All right. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Um, um, at first, you might think, like, what is the connection here? Like, am I implying that Obi-Wan and Maul might factor into Ahsoka? Not at all. Nothing so pedestrian. What am I talking about here? So, you got to think about, like, not just, like, what happens in, in this moment, in this duel, but really what it's about. And what it's about, it is this... This confrontation between these two characters, of course, who have all this history, but its it goes back to what we've been talking about, about legacies and trauma and the past and how do you deal with them. Because what you see in that whole confrontation is the, the, the conflict between Maul on the one hand, who continues to linger in the anger and the hatred and the resentment over what happened between him and Obi-Wan going all the way back to The Phantom Menace. He has carried this for decades now, and an older, wizened Obi Wan, who is also confronting a man here who has done great harm to him. Right, took his master, killed you know the love of his life in Satine, but has learned to release and let go of that resentment and anger. And you see that, like you see that whole thing where where Maul is trying to bait him into attacking, and Obi Wan's just like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Like I know what you want me to do. I'm not going to do it. And of course it's ultimately Obi-Wan does not draw his saber until Maul makes the threat about Luke. That only then. So again it's that that Yoda thing about, you know, knowledge and defense never attack. He goes in for defense. He does not go in out of aggression into that duel. And you know for Obi-Wan of course like that is something with the context of the Kenobi show, we can see how that's an evolution because, you know, when we see him in in the show, of course we start out and we see him how he's played with all the dreams about Anakin and all of that guilt that is kind of hang you know weighing him down and then of course once he learns that Anakin is still alive in the form of Vader you see how he's carrying that obsession with trying to chase down Anakin you know they have that moment in the season finale where obi-wan sort of devises the scheme of like okay I'm gonna get on the shuttle and I'm gonna take off and I'll let you guys escape and Rokin sort of calls him out on it It's was like no like you're not doing this for us you're doing this for you he's like you're obsessed with that guy and like you want to confront him and it, you know th- th- the you know the end moment being of course where where obi-Wan sort of learns to kind of let go and I mean he of course you know there he incorrectly concludes that Anakin is irredeemable, and we know, you know, subsequently that he's wrong about that. But he does have that moment of like being willing to let go of the past and what happened with Anakin. And of course, you know, after that he helps Ariva herself let go of the cycle of trauma and not wanting to kind of repeat, you know, what was done to her and helping her kind of let go and move forward and not be stuck in the past. And then we see that sort of with, you know, that coming to its full fruition with. The duel against Maul where he's not willing to take the bait there and he has sort of he he, he has Maul no longer has that kind of power over him and so I think all those themes that duel engages with about you know moving on from one's past and letting go and not lingering and breaking the cycle I think that is going to be relevant to The story of ahsoka because i think there is no doubt that the show is going to be part of dealing her kind of confronting things from the past and maybe mistakes and what ifs and all of that i mean there's even the line in the trailer from that bit where she confronts Balin, where she says like um is it something like i'm not here to talk about my past or the line is something like that
1: yeah that sounds
0: right yeah it's something close to that so i think Ahsoka is going to be going through a kind of journey that is analogous there and maybe, you know, reaching that kind of that same kind of serenity eventually where like the past is something to be, you know, looked back and learn from. Right. The greatest teacher failure is, as Yoda talks about in The Last Jedi, but it's not a thing to be lingered on, obsessed over thinking like, I should have done this. I should have done that. Like, what if this, what if that, like that, that is unhealthy. And like, that's where, that's where you find Maul at the end of that duel. Like he's in that unhealthy obsession. Whereas Obi-Wan has reached this place of peace and acceptance. And so I think that stuff from that duel, like all that kind of thematic stuff that is happening under there. I think that stuff is going to, is in some way going to carry into the Ahsoka show.
1: One you know maul is is Sisyphus, right rolling yes. that that boulder up the you know the mountain just for it to roll back down, and he never learns how to either get it to the top of the mountain or to you know to go with what we're talking about to just release it and let it fall and let it go and you know move up the mountain himself and it it might not be exactly how he envisioned it, but it is it does you know get him where he wants to go. Maul, we know in his case is so you know twisted at this point. There is no chance of that, but Ahsoka and Sabine, there is you know. And is there resentment and their anger or whatever emotions they have towards each other? You know, is it going to stop them from being able to get, to to move forward, or are they going to figure out a way to to talk about it, to work through it, to get over it? Well, like whatever needs to happen. We don't, we know so little about what their relationship is actually going to be like based on what we have in the trailer. And so it, it, it's obviously a lot of speculation, but you, you do have to a hundred percent consider the fact that, you know, they have all of these skeletons in their closet that they're going to have to figure out how to deal with. They're going to have these pains and these traumas and, These losses that they're going to figure out, you know, how to deal with. And we kind of get the impression through Book of Boba Fett and in even kind of how she is in Mandalorian that Ahsoka has learned how to handle this. She's got a regality to her uh, and a piece that, you know, Rosario Dawson has infused into the live action version of the character that you know wasn't present in the clone wars and rebels character obviously being at a different point in her life does ahsoka have it all figured out or is she kind of just playing the role and she hasn't really dealt with her stuff and the same thing with sabine is she this calm cool collected person she seems to be in the the trailer where you know she's able to snip back at snips and uh you know, is riding the the speeder bike under the E wing, and you know she's she's the cool one in that in that trailer. Yes, is that really who she's going to be when we pick her up in this story? It's going to be like I think the 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 overall story of Ahsoka is going to shape around whatever the relationship is between Sabine and Ahsoka at the beginning of the seas- the the season or the series. Like I think in the first couple episodes, we're either going to go yep, we've 100% nailed what this show is going to be about or no, we were very wrong about what this show is going to be about because, right. you know, again, we know so little about their, their relationship and what they've had going on in that in-between time.
0: I'm, I'm, just, I'm very eager to see, like, yeah, what kind of dynamic and, like, where they're coming from.
1: And, you know, we have to think about the fact also, like I mentioned this on the last show, when we left off with Rebels and we saw Ahsoka and Sabine, we thought that moment was the first time they'd seen each other. But based on how the trailer has things, it seems like there's a time in between when they worked together and Ahsoka was, I guess, training her or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, you know, Rebels is the their second kind of unification, if you will. So it really could go in so many, so many different directions. But I want to take it in a different direction because I want to talk about another character I think could have a big impact on Ahsoka because he had a big impact on this season, and that is the Bendu. Okay. I think, and this is kind of my wild card, I think we could see Ahsoka and Bendu having a conversation. We know Filoni has done a drawing of the two meeting. Uh, I think the, the story he told around it happened... During the Rebels timeline, I think, uh, based on what he said, she talked with him before Malachor. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah I think it's that. I, think, I, I know what sketch you're talking about. And yeah, I think w- what he said about this, that, y- that yeah, there was going to be some kind of moment of her talking to the Bendu before they left.
1: Well, and we know Filoni, you know, sits with these ideas, you know, Siege of Mandalore being a key example of that, and he lets them stew for a while, even if he doesn't get to make them, they don't leave his head, and he retools them into something else. You know, I'm I'm rereading the Ahsoka book right now, and the Siege of Mandalore is very different there than it is in Clone Wars, even though E.K. Johnston talked to Dave Filoni about this. We know his ideas evolve. They go different directions uh, as he plays with these characters, so I think... You could take very easily take that idea of Ahsoka talking to the Bendu before going to Malachor, asking for direction, asking for understanding, and put that at the beginning of the season. And we could find Ahsoka finding herself and figuring out how she fits into this galaxy that is post-Empire with the Force in balance and Luke bringing back the Jedi. I think it would make a lot of sense for us to, to start with her on some isolated planet which Adelon is, which is where Bendu is. And she's meditating and trying to find herself. And in this case, she's not able to do it. She talks about how, you know, my training, you know, Anakin didn't complete my training. So she's still, you know, she's going to need guidance. I mean, even masters need guidance. But you know what I mean? Like she this she's yeah. not going to feel like she has all of the answer. And so I think... He just fits into the narrative that they're going to tell very easily Um, because you have an Ahsoka who needs help, but also, like, he is the one in the middle. Yeah. So he is, you know, supposed to be this balanced character. Ahsoka is seeking that balance, but also you've got now this new threat, and how does that affect the balance that Luke has brought, and Anakin brought back via Anakin's redemption? Um, You have this ambiguous relationship with Bendu and Thrawn where like Thrawn tried to kill them and Bendu kind of died or disappeared or it's not really clear. So there's a lot of questions also about what happened to the Bendu that -hmm. I think Filoni has probably also thought about and has answers to himself and that this would be a perfect avenue to provide those answers for the audience while also advancing Ahsoka's character. And Creating a place in the story where Dave can easily establish his themes because the Bendu kind of talks in that way. So he can present these themes at the beginning, say, here they are, and then show them the rest of of the season. And you kinda kinda one of those things where we in in Season three, you know, Bendu talks about, I see you wrapped in a cold embrace of many arms, and yeah. we, that pays off, you know, that that kind of foreshadowing. We get, you know, uh, episode one, we've got Bendu and Ahsoka talking, he gives some, you know, uh, quote that, you know, we think is just conjecture, just philosophy or whatever, and then we get to the end of the season, and it's paying off, and you're like that's what Bendu was talking about right there. And so Ahsoka learned the lesson he was trying to teach her or something like that. Um, so yeah, I just, I think he fits into the story. I think if they can pull Zeb off, they can pull bit ben- Bendu off, uh, with CGI and with the volume, I imagine that makes it even a little bit easier cause you don't have to worry about background and lighting as much. And you can really focus on the CGI of such a big bombastic character. um, and yeah, so I want to see more Bendu. What about you?
0: Oh, I do too. I think he's incredibly fascinating. I mean, one, for one, it's like I love weird force stuff in Star Wars. So, like, give me yeah. that, like, all day, every day. So, there's that. And then also, he's just a, re- he, he's really interesting in terms of the fit of the story that Rebels is trying to tell. Cause, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the previous episode where we were talking about, you know, how we choose to fight. As being one of these big themes of of rebels and the bendu is kind of in this interesting place where like he is presented as a character like who's who is making the choice not to fight he's trying to make affirmatively to say like i am the one in the middle i am staying out and you know the moral that the episode you know that the, the season ultimately lands on by the time you get to you know to adalon and the empire shows up and, you know, his confrontation with Kanan is, like, the the, the moral of the Bendu there. And, I mean, this is a lot of ways, like, something that Star Wars itself reinforces in a lot of different ways, is to say that, like, like to not pick a side is, in fact, to pick a side.
1: I was 100% thinking that same thing of, like... Yeah. He, he kind of gets... Kanan kind of goads him into to joining the fight because he antagonizes him and kind of makes him realize like Thrawn is not here to do anything
0: good. He won't leave you alone. Yes, exactly. And so I think it would be re- like, if we were to get, you know, Bendu in something like a if you were to, you know, manifest in some form, even if it weren't physically, if you were like in some kind of, you know, weird force vision thing, somehow coming back, it would be compelling to see, Has he himself changed his mind in any way, you know, based on what ultimately happened is, you know, is it possible for him to change, you know, in in terms of like, you know, you mentioned that thing where like he, he alludes to seeing Thrawn's fate. It's like, you know, like, did he foresee all of this? Like, so, you know, there's a little bit like the theological, like, can he change his mind? Um, But yeah, like, it would be interesting to see, like, what, like, what would that version of the Ben do? counsel ahsoka like in what way like perhaps he might you know he might give her try to give her the same exact same advice like maybe he would still be like adamant about like don't get involved you know like be this sort of figure in the middle you know or he might you know having gone through the experience with thrawn and everything there like he might come out of that with a new perspective it would be really compelling to see
1: when he has this Idea he talks about when Ezra wants to combine the the holocrons yeah. of what once you see something you can't unsee it, and yes. or I think it's like once you I think it's once you know something you can't unknow it or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think that could play a role too, uh, to kind of connect back to what we were talking about before about like how they're going to react to the trauma of war and how they're going to figure out how to exist in this post-war era is like, once you make a decision, you can't unmake the decision. But also you, you have the other side of things of you, you wouldn't have known the outcome. You're, you're never going to know what would have happened if you took the other path. So just commit to the path that you're on or just accept the losses and, and make a change. Cause he also has his line like later in the season talking about, uh, Ezra's relationship with the, the holocron um, and he's talking about how, you know, the holocron, you know, it can tempt you, it can try to trick you, but only you can change yourself is what he says, but only yes. you can change yourself. And so I think that's another thing. If we're talking about Ahsoka trying to figure out who she is in this new era and her relationship with Sabine and everything else, I think that fits in too. of like, okay, you have this knowledge. You can't unknow this trauma right you have it mm-hmm. you can't unknow it so how are you going to live with it and you have to take ownership over being responsible for who you become after this you know you can't be going back and blaming not that she is but just for argument's sake like going back and blaming Anakin or blaming Obi-Wan or blaming even yourself like you've got to do something to move on and to to learn and grow and become something new which i think Ahsoka is going to be an avenue where Ahsoka can become something new. Sabine can become something new. Maybe even Hera can become something new, and they kind of get this uh, rebirth, this reincarnation with these live action actresses who can take them on into other series. And this is kind of just a, a launching point for the next you know version of themselves. So I think it it could work on on every level in terms of what they're trying to accomplish with this show with just bringing back the bendu like it opens up so many avenues for storytelling and i like the idea you had about you know it possibly in a flashback or a dream or vision of some sort like it doesn't have to be he's actually physically there i hadn't actually considered that aspect of it but yeah there's so much you can do with this character, and I don't know anybody who doesn't want more <laughs> Ben do in their life. Like, he's just awesome, he really is. So, Dvor, that's gonna wrap up our lists, and we only have one more season to go 15 more episodes. And Amir, at the time that this is coming out, four weeks until Ahsoka, one month actually, less than one month. We are recording on the 28th, and it is 26 days away and God, it's so close. It's so close, but I also don't know how I'm going to survive that long. Like I'm just like oh, I'm I'm honestly kind of glad that school is starting back up and stuff cuz I have things to distract me. I think if I just had to sit and stew with waiting another month for this freaking show, I would lose my mind. But it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about it here on the network. Also, watch the show, guys. I know uh, people are talking about uh, you know, not watching content to, in support of, of the strikes and everything. We obviously support the strikes. The actors and writers should have fair wages and be compensated for the success of their shows and all of that stuff that they're fighting for. But, like, not watching this stuff is not helping them at all, and they've come out and said that. Like, you need to watch the stuff so people know that it's valuable. Uh, so if you were thinking about not watching this for or anything for that reason, please just... Get informed. Make sure you know how that's actually going to to impact what they're trying to to achieve there. Because, again, we talk about these shows. We talk about these movies and all of these things. And, you know, we reference people like Dave Filoni and Rosario Dawson and Ashley Eckstein and all these. It takes so many people to make a character successful, make these shows successful. And, uh, you know, they should be able to, to share in that success. So... Absolutely. If you want to hear more about what we are doing here on the network, you can subscribe. You can find us on all the socials at clashing sabers and uh devore. If they want to follow you specifically and hear about some of the other stuff you're working on, where can they do that?
0: All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at a larger view pod. You can listen to a larger view of the force, and you can also listen to me on space Swifties, a star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast that I co-host with my wife, the one and only Meg Dowell. Dude, so I I don't know if it was following
1: you guys specifically or... The, do you have a Space Swifties account? Yes. Okay. I think I might have followed the Space Swifties account on either the threads or Twitter. And now I've got like a whole bunch of people who are like Taylor Swift and Star Wars. I was like, I didn't even realize how, like this was like a thing outside of like our little group trying to talk about this It really is a thing. It's a
0: thing. Yes. It's a
1: thing. So yeah, go over and listen to that, guys. Uh, Obviously, they are awesome. And if you want to do something to support Star Wars and support um, your your local community, your family, uh, your own kids or grandkids, support our nonprofit where we put Star Wars books into classrooms across the country. Uh, We got another nomination today. So we were, we're sending books to uh, an elementary teacher. Uh, we're sending books to a sixth grade teacher teaching in her first year. Uh, just here in the next couple weeks, I'm going to get these. Uh, next couple days, I should say, actually. I'm going to get these boxes sent out to, to those awesome teachers. So if you know a teacher, if your kid has a teacher, if you're a teacher's neighbor, like it doesn't matter. They don't have to be a Star Wars fan. Go over and nominate them because we would love to give them some books. And if you want to be a part of being able to give them books, of course, go over to our Patreon and subscribe there. Amanda's putting out great content for you to listen to that's different from what we have on here, you know, some lighter, more random uh, discussions and stuff that, uh, you know, we don't do necessarily on. The, the formal podcast that you can check out there and is totally um, awesome to check out over on our Patreon. So until then, uh, I guess we will just have to sit and wait for the final trailer for Ahsoka to come out, uh, where if they don't do it, I'm going to edit in batch eight. hi Hi-ho.